0: Hi everyone, this is Charles LeJoey with, with the ledgerback Digital Commons Research Cooperative. And on uh, this episode of the Philadelphia series on musings, I'm just going to be talking about uh, some of the legal uh, problems that can uh, arise with uh, the Centralist Thomas organizations. But uh, I probably won't get into anything uh, too legal. You know, no legalese. Uh, and, you know, just a quick disclaimer. You know, this is not uh, legal advice uh, it's not financial advice uh, it's not advice of any kind I you know, shouldn't rely on it at all uh you know if you need any help you know you should go find uh you know a counsel uh in your own jurisdiction who can uh, uh actually deal with the uh, with the issues that you're trying to deal with uh yeah so that's it for the disclaimer you know, I do need one <laughs> just for this one uh because uh you know it's uh you know it's pretty interesting, and so uh really uh this episode i'm just gonna be talking about as i said the little issues with the uh with the Simpsons uh, autonomous organizations uh d a o s uh and uh you know uh you know some of the issues that can arise you know based on uh you know really just two uh two articles which have come out uh not necessarily very recently but uh <laughs> uh but uh, they actually touch upon the topic, and you know, they're pretty relevant. So uh, first, I'll talk about uh, some of the issues that can arise with uh, with DAOs. Uh, then, uh, then this article talking about uh, the uh, the new uh, DAO law, which came out in Wyoming. Uh, you know, this article just kind of goes over it and uh, gets some uh, interesting takes on some of the issues uh, with the with the new law, and then uh this article by uh Jesse Walden and the uh uh Connor Spallisi which talks about uh using the uh, uh a legal cooperative entity and really just using the cooperative model itself as a possible uh means for a for a uh, for DAOs to, to grow but at the same time to maintain their uh institutional uh knowledge uh, because the actual founding can stay uh while reducing uh securities risks. So uh now to start off with the so with the the legal uh issues with uh with the with DAOs. Yeah I don't uh really have a article on that, but there is this like really, really cool uh checklist uh for some of the legal issues that can arise uh in crypto uh i might just include that as like a link to uh to this episode but you know just saying about uh, the issues kind of <laughs> off the top of my head uh so you know with uh, the with daos you know they're meant to be uh internet native uh so you know ideally everyone would just you know uh, form a collective online you know meets you know on some random place you know it could be like discord telegram whatever and uh, you know when you're there, come together, you know, try to do something collectively, and boom, there you go. And then you know you form a uh, a DAO on a uh, on a blockchain. And so at least to me, for the most part, DAO, pretty you know, any group that's using uh, uh, you know uh, Web three tools. So this could be blockchain tools, but it could also be other Web three tools as well, as long as you know, pretty much just kind of focus on organizational stuff. And this is, you know, reason uh, why I always like to call it uh, organizational technology or uh, org tech for short, because that's kind of the you know the the tech is meant to address is organizational stuff. So pretty much, you know, if you're a group using uh, uh, org tech, uh, you you could pretty much call yourself a, a DAO. And, uh, you know, one of the other additional things, too, which I think is important is also that, you know, this DAO also has to practice uh, uh, digital cooperativism or quasi-cooperativism, as I uh, prefer to call it, because uh, it's really meant to encompass a lot of the uh, you know, very similar uh, values to, uh, to cooperatives, but not necessarily uh, the same, uh, to the same degree. So like, you know, the cooperatives have, you know, seven principles. Defined by uh, the International Cooperative Association. Uh, sorry, actually, an International Cooperative Alliance. Yeah, hopefully I got that right. <laughs> uh, so you know they have the seven principles, and you know if you're cooperative, generally you follow the seven principles. And so with the AOs, you know they, you know it's called it quasi cooperativism, but they, you know they do follow some. They do, you know, have similar values, but they don't necessarily execute it the same way. And so, you know, it's very similar, but, you know, some distinctions uh, there. And so, you know, that's just, like, a brief, little uh, definition of, uh, of DAOs and, you know, what I would consider to be a, a DAO. So, you know, given that definition, you know, that's one of the reasons why, like, JP Morgan, even though it uses uh, blockchain tech, you know, wouldn't be a DAO because, you know, doesn't, uh, you know, practice, you uh, uh, quasi cooperative uh, uh, principles in its organization. So sure, you can use you know the you know use org tech, but without the quasi cooperativism, you're not really uh, a DAO. And so, uh, you know, that's the really definition of a of a DAO. Uh, and then you know the legal issues. So the you know the big one, of course, is that you know you have all these people just coming together, uh, you know. The biggest thing you alls got to worry about is you know uh, liability, you know uh, you know to uh, of course the people you're working with, uh, your partners, and then of course to the people who uh, who you're providing a a service to your uh, your consumers. And so the biggest thing that's you, you know for deos and people who work in deos to worry about, of course, is always going to be uh, liability. And so this is uh, you know, a very common thread, but it's, it's really the same for anyone trying to form, a, form an organization's, so, you know, it got to worry about liability, especially when you're trying to you know, do any business activities. And so for DAOs, sure, they're, you know, internet native and it's just for groups of people come together. But, you know, of course, you know, there is a, a legal uh, organizational form which already kind of like uh, encompasses that. So, you know, it's generally like a general partnership. And with a general partnership, uh, at least in most jurisdictions here in the, in the U.S., you know, most, uh, most jurisdictions already have them, and so you know, really the thing is, like, you can't escape being uh, legally recognized as something if you're if you're doing something to make you know uh, you know to earn a profit or to you know to make money. Now, pretty much, if you're running any business to you know earn uh, some money, you're pretty much gonna you know have some legal uh, identity. Of course, you know if it's the one you want, you know that's the, that's the question. This, you know, of course, you know, there have been people in the past have tried to, you know, get around registration because they're like, well, you know, I didn't need to do this, I didn't need that. And, you know, that, of course, leads to issues down the road. Uh, and so, you know, for the most part, it'd probably be like a general partnership. Uh, you know, it can also be like an unincorporated uh, uh, association. You know, it's very uh, possible as well. I know we have that here in Nevada. Uh, but, uh, but that's pretty much what you're going to be uh, dealing with is that you'll have this really awkward, uh, legal uh business organizational form that you are going to encounter and it's like you know which one do we fall under excuse me and then you know the big problem with having general partnership is that you know there's no limit to your liability excuse me so yeah let's just say uh you know like something happens and something really bad. <laughs> it's like you know, like you know, you put out uh, this really cool protocol, and uh, and it gets hacked. And you know, it still got hacked. And then you know, so who's liable for it? And you know, let's just say uh, you know your uh, the people who use your protocol are really pissed off, and they want to sue. You know, so they sue. And the thing is that you know, since you didn't have a legal form, just a general partnership, uh, you know, there's no limit to your liability. So everyone's personally liable uh, for. Uh, uh, for uh, for the uh, entry that occurred to the consumers with the DeFi protocol. And uh, sorry, I should have mentioned this earlier, really, but uh, DeFi stands for Decentralized Finance. Uh, I'll just keep you using uh, DeFi from uh, this moment onwards. And so since, you know, everyone could be you know, personally liable, you know, of course no one wants to have that much liability, But let's just say all you did was <laughs> uh, just a little bit of content. And all you did was like make three articles, you didn't write the smart contract. Uh, you are the person to verify, it, but now you're also on the hook. And Of course, the big thing to worry about, of course, is that you know who can like afford to you know defend themselves. It's really only the people who generally have you know enough uh, funds to do so. And uh, you know, since you're you know in general partnership, you're all worried about liability. You know, you might not get as much help as you would like, uh, and so you have know, someone sues the general partnership that's something to, you know, always be concerned about. Uh, you know, it's how much, how much, how personally liable you are. And of course, you know, whether, you know, like how far it goes, you know, that depends on your uh, jurisdiction, but just in general for, uh, uh for, you know, general partnerships, <laughs> you know, like if someone, you know, sues uh, the general partnership and since there's no limits on, the. Uh, liability on personal liability, you know, that partnership it turns out that uh you know, you get sued and that's uh you know that uh since you know it's someone else's faults, you know, sticking with our examples, someone else messed up the DeFi protocol or someone else got into a bad contract or in bad that and then oh man now we got payback. Well since you know there was no limit on liability, let's say that that person who got into the into the bad deal can't afford to pay it off then the person who's uh, who's suing them can also go after uh, the other partners and they actually have to cough up so that's the big problem with uh with just running your own partnership especially when you deal with uh something that can have a lot of liability like really you know that's the whole point of <laughs> limited liability companies and people trying to make corporations to limit their liability really as much as possible and so the, one of the big problems with you know is that DAOs do you know open up to a lot of liability just because of you know web 3 you know it's very new you know for you know there a lot of people still don't understand like what's what's going on with web 3 so you know you have all those problems and then you know you know once you include the financial stuff you know people you know getting hacked and people lose their money you know there's a lot of easy ways for liability to arise and so that's all something that uh, that deals had to deal with you know especially since uh, you know they're meant to be you know uh, cross-border so you can have people come from different countries and so you know that's another issue to deal with as well as that you know of course different countries have different laws and different rules and how things are supposed to be handled uh, a big one of course is how our contracts are supposed to be handled and this is you know, even within the US there's you know for the most part contract laws is the same across uh, the you know, the, the U.S., but some states have their own certain particularities. And, you know, some states might have specific laws about uh, about smart contracts and blockchain. So that in itself can also cause, you know, problems. So, you know, just having, you know, dealing with multiple jurisdictions is also uh, an issue for, uh, for DAOs. And, you know, you know, other than just, like, dealing with contracts and, you know, how, you know, uh, Certain jurisdictions have created their their blockchain laws. You might also have to deal with like employment laws, and every you jurisdiction has their own employment law. So you know that's really the big problem with the deals can face as well is just you know dealing with multiple jurisdictions when handling you know people from you know you know while trying to coalesce a global group of people. You know dealing with those multiple jurisdictions. So you either did the uh, joint partnership, the liability issue, you know, you also got to deal with the, uh, uh, the multiple jurisdictions issue. And, uh, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you also got to deal with the fact that states also have different laws for, uh, for blockchains and uh, for, uh, for smart contracts. So you might also deal with that, too. So, yeah, you know, lots of, you know, lots of annoying issues that you might have to deal with, uh, with, the, with the deal. And then, you know, another one, of course, is, you know, you have to deal with securities because, you know, if you're giving up equity in the group, of course, uh, you know, equity generally is considered uh, security and it's like, well, okay, if I'm just going to, you know, uh, offer my secure, uh, my, uh, you know, equity in this DAO, which could just be tokens. And so I'm offering these tokens from to my deal out to the world. You know, I haven't got to offer out uh, these tokens, do I have to register as, a, register as a security with the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, SEC here in the U.S.? Uh, pretty much every country has, like, their own uh, equivalent to the SEC. You know, the big question, of course, is you know, do you have to register with the SEC before you start offering it uh, you know, out to the world? And, you know, like, how to go about the offering. So, you know, Lots of issues you can run into uh, when running a DAO, and yeah, yeah, you know, these just like the three big issues that uh, that I can really think of. Uh, and so, yeah, other than those three big issues, you know now I just want to you know, get to uh, the Wyoming. Uh, DAO law, just because that one's kind of meant to, like, actually address some of these issues. <laughs> but, uh, but it doesn't seem like it's actually, you know, doing that uh, uh, very well. So here we this, you know, really good uh, take on the on the law from uh, Joshua Durham. This is published in uh Lux DAO. So the article, yeah, Wyoming built a home for DAOs, but they won't come. I'll include a link to it uh, in this episode. So, you know, that's really nice introduction, just, you know, mentioning how, uh, you know, Wyoming is kind of, uh, you know, has been a pioneer when it comes to, like, uh, blockchain. And so, you know, they're also the first state to, you know, uh, pioneer the the limited liability corporate, uh, company, sorry, uh, you know, LLC. And so, you know, there's been a lot of talk about (laughs) trying to, you know, create, like, model laws for DAOs, which I think personally really should be avoided really all costs at the moment just because uh, you know we're still trying to figure out what the heck a DAO is and so i think it's kind of probably better just to wait on it until we actually have like you know a, you know a large enough you know uh, 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 population of DAOs i would probably say like you know probably hopefully have like a thousand to two thousand yeah, you know which encompass a large group of people because once you have a large group of people involved, okay, now you know, you know, now you you probably have uh, you know uh, regulators or governments taking a look, which means that they kind of now have to figure it out, and so you know, hopefully you know we have some uh, some uh, 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 political action uh, committees, PACs, which you know work on uh, blockchain, which can help you know government officials figure this stuff out, but. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. I like. I don't think we really need it yet, just because we're still trying to figure out what even a DAO is. So it's like making a long DAO. Yeah, you know, at least to me, doesn't make sense as of yet. And so, you know, if you're, uh, you know, uh, watching a recording, you can you know see me go, you know, through the article. And so here I am on uh, on the DAO section. And so you know, those quick little introduction to smart contracts. Uh, you know, I'm kind of assuming that you know what smart contracts are. But uh, just let's you know, you know, you know, just like a really quick definition. But it's not like the best one. <laughs> As I said, you know, smart contract is just uh, it's just software that uh, uh, that runs on the blockchain. So pretty much, you know, it, since you can store practically anything on the blockchain, you know, if you want, you know, if, well, if you're willing to pay for it, it you know, uh, you know, uh, at least with all these smart contract platforms, what smart contracts are, it's really just you know, uh, software that just is, gets stored on. A blockchain and it can be executed on the blockchain so you can actually run it so the Ethereum that gets run in say Ethereum virtual machine which is you know just like a, a virtual computer on a computer uh, so you know that's where the software gets run is in a virtual computer so that's pretty much all smart contract is uh, I know like contract is in the name but you know it's to not really you know pay attention to since it's doesn't really deal with actual contract uh, law at all. And uh, I know sometimes, you know, the terminology and uh Web3 can be confusing, but uh, uh, but hopefully that <laughs> that kind of helped. And so, you know, this nice little introduction about DEOs is like, oh, are DEOs meant to be complete? Thomas is like, well, now DEOs, you know, require, you know, people to actually interact with them. know requires me have input. And same with any smart contracts. Like, smart contracts don't just run on-chain most of the time you know, government do require some, you know, some actual, uh, input from people. So it requires input from people, then human beings have to be, you know, involved. And of course, uh, you know, so kind of giving just the intro that I kind of gave, uh, really at the beginning, it was just kind of help, you know, provide some more efficiencies, uh, through, uh, through OrgTech. And so you know, DLs do a lot of things, and we can kind of skip that. So let's just go to the DOLC bill. And so you know, uh, uh, so, so, so so yeah, Joshua makes a really good point about uh, uh, about the drafts. It's like you know, they recognize that there are some problems. <laughs> so you know, the, you know, which is a good thing. Like they realize that you know, like they still got some things to figure out. Which is the most important thing about. Uh, about making any of these model laws is real it's just like there's so much to look at, and, and that you know, you might miss some things and so here josh uh Joshua, sorry has uh, his considerations for uh for the wyoming DAO, DAO bill, so I think uh, really importantly, he says right here you know first of all classifies all DAOs as being a members match unless they ought to be algorithmically managed. So you know, really, uh interesting there. So you know, as you know, Joshua goes on. the you problem know, promise that. It forces companies to go public. Excuse me. Uh, before figuring out product market fit, which is a little strange. Uh, so you know, you know. So you know it's a really strange thing about like you know they you know have to be member match unless they're algorithmically match yeah, it's very strange. And so you know you know and as you know Joshua you know mentions you know you know you would have to define algorithmically manage. And, you know, that's really the big problem here, which goes back to, you know, how do you define a DAO? And that's why I think, you know, we should we should hold off on these uh, model laws for, for a while, because, you know, we're still trying to figure out what the heck that even means. Though I do think we're getting a little bit better, and I do think my definition kind of just can kind of capture everyone. Uh, but, you know, of course, you'll probably change in a couple of years as, you know, things improve. And so... You know, and then here's the, another, you know, problem here is that it requires algorithm managed deals to be updatable, modifiable, or otherwise upgradable. Of course, the problem with that is that, you know, if you put something on blockchain, it's immutable, so you can not update it. And the only way you can update is to, you know, make a new set of smart contracts. So, you know, it doesn't really make any sense. And so another, you know, interesting, weird takeaway is that, uh, you know, you know, the bill, you know, dissolves, DAO LLCs so they fail to approve any proposals or take any actions for one year, which doesn't make any sense, uh, because you know of course for uh, you know uh, traditional LLCs, your know, LLCs don't dissolve if you don't do anything. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. Uh, you know as long as you you know pay your filing fee, boom, you're good to go. Like, but so it's really strange why they're requiring you know additional actions from DAOs than they would with other. Uh, uh, business organizations and so the second uh thing he points out you don't got to have d a in the name or allow, which is kind of like okay, but then again don't you know, I don't think you really need uh need that at all. I know with some cooperative statutes you do require you to have cooperative in the name, which like I'm also kind of okay with, but at the same time, like you don't really need it it's kind of just, it's kind of just there. <laughs> Yeah, that one's kind of a hit or miss. Uh, well, actually, sorry, it's not really hit or miss. That one's kind of just like you like it's okay to have, and it's also okay not to have. Yeah, I'm indifferent. <laughs> okay, I'm into the third one, and then third, you know, this requires deals to maintain a registered agent in Wyoming, and so of course this works for traditional organizations, but of course it's a problem for DALS because once again global, and uh, you know of course. Uh, you not know, you might not necessarily have uh, anyone in Wyoming. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, you know, since everything's, since Post-Six was are mentally handled with org tech and, you know, uh, generally dealt with online, you know, thus lead to, uh, some interesting, uh, issues there because so, like, you do have to have someone in Wyoming. And so it's just like, you know, do you really need a type of registered agent in Wyoming uh, for a DAO? Yeah, I personally still don't find it to be that defeatist, because, you know, then again, you know, they, you know, that's what you do for pretty much any organization, so. Uh, but of course, you know, DAO is meant to be global cross-border, but, you know, to me, it's like, you know, if you have someone who's in Wyoming, then, like, that would be fine. And, you know, it's actually really not uh you know, not that bad to have the registered agent, but, yeah, I'm not really sh- too sure how, how helpful that would, uh, yeah, that would be. Yes, you know, let's just, you know, since, you know, DLs are global, they might get into, you know, issues which occur, you know, outside of Wyoming, and it's like, what do you do about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure that would be, like, a complete off, but I'm like, you yeah. know. I you know, I think the problem with having, you know, University in Wyoming is like, you know, of course, once again, going back to multiple jurisdictions, you know, since you might have members of multiple jurisdictions, and they might cause problems in other jurisdictions, uh, you know, how does having, you know, in Wyoming actually help you? Uh, and so, you know, really uh, interesting things. Uh, and so that's kind of just uh, Joshua's thoughts on it. And, yeah you know, I think that Wyoming you know it's interesting and you know I kind of do it like as it. like a first attempt but you know more uh, more can be done. And so you know I'll just end it there for, uh, for that one and there are a lot of things going on. Uh, you know we'll definitely see some improvements as time goes on and it's really one of those things where it's just like we just need time. All right so move on to the next article uh, leadership in the ownership economy, scaling decision making while minimizing securities risk. Uh, this one's, uh, written by Jesse Walden and, uh, Connor Spilici. I hope I pronounced that one, uh, properly. I apologize to Connor Spilisi if I didn't. <laughs> and so, uh, with this one, now we're going to the actual, uh, topic of, you know, uh, co-ops for, uh, uh, for DAOs. And so the big problem here, uh, that gets mentioned is just the fact that, you know, you can have, you know, uh, uh the, well, the initial developers, you know, create the products and then try to decentralize it so that they don't have to deal with securities issues. Uh, because, you know, that's one of the key ways that you can kind of <laughs> just uh, kind of throw your throw your tokens out there to everybody without, you know, getting in trouble with the SEC. But, of course, you know, that's not the only way of going bad. I mean, you could also uh, use a co-op. And since, of course, there are a lot of similarities between uh, DAOs and co-ops, Especially since you know the DLs do tend to uh, envelop quasi cooperative principles, uh, you can you know make the case that you know at co is probably one of the best uh, legal forms you can uh, you can use, and uh, at least in my opinion, I think co-ops are uh, are pretty close to uh, you know to what uh, a deal would be looking for, and DL, and co-ops do provide. Really, a lot of flexibility when it comes to uh, to how they're ran and managed, and I think that flexibility could fit DOs pretty easily, and they don't really put too many limitations uh, on uh, on where people come from. <laughs> okay, and so you know, here I'm probably just gonna run through fronted uh, the article, and so here we get this nice uh, you know, explanation of like what a co-op is. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure if you guys. You don't know, is, Corpus, so I'll just give you uh, the definition. Uh, so a cooperative is an autonomous association of persons united voluntarily to meet their common economic, social, and cultural needs and aspirations through a jointly owned and democratically controlled enterprise. Uh, you know, wasn't probably, you know, you can see the jointly owned and democratically controlled. And so, you know, we get this nice little uh uh you know, of cooperatives here. You know, they mentioned two forms, uh, consumer and producer slash marketing, but there's a lot more forms as well. You can also have multi-stakeholder. You know, there's platform, just data cooperatives. I mean, you can have a carpenter for anything. which is <laughs> just of the cool part. And so here they uh some of the... F- for like four major sections from just general corporations. And so a cooperative can be, you know, any can take any legal form. It doesn't, you know, really matter what merits most is, you know, it's a jointly owned and democratically uh, um, uh, uh, controlled. As long as you have those two, uh, you, you pretty much are a cooperative. And so, you know, here you carry out the, uh, the four, you know, at least four key distinctions, you know, cooperatives are only controlled by the members, not shareholders. Earnings are generally allocated based on uh, amount they use of co op, which is really patronage. You know, you usually hear this called patronage dividends. You know, uh, people form co ops basically want a service or a product, you know, usually for utility. So you can think of cooperatives really just like a utility organization. So that's why you'll see a lot of cooperatives as well for like uh, uh, for like energy. So you you know you, we do have a lot of like rural electric cooperatives here in the U.S. and then you will see like energy cooperatives as well like in the in Europe but more general uh, yeah not as much as here uh, in the U.S. and so capital is generally uh, contributed by members and debt holders rather than by equity investors yeah, that doesn't mean you can't actually add e- uh, add equity investors uh, but uh, but uh, yeah it's usually not uh, not going to work. Uh, okay. And so uh, moving on to uh, the next part. Uh, you know, why is wire co-ops a useful framework? And so that's actually like a really nice you know, you know uh, short uh, background on it. So you know, got some major rulings here. Uh, so that's only in the U.S. Uh, so sorry if someone is in somewhere else. But I, I mean, for the most part, it won't change too much. It's actually probably a lot easier to do this in Europe. Uh, than it would be here in the U.S. So, you know, look into Europe. And so here we have this really nice review of, uh, what's in the background, uh, you know, uh, all case law, uh, you know, regarding uh, confidence and securities. Uh, So for the most part, uh, I'm not really going to, you know, go over too much of the cases. Uh, Like really for the most part, it's really just, uh, you know, uh, that uh, you know the actual membership, uh, you know, which is still a stock. Keep it, mind you, you know, for the most part, you're not considered a security, so you don't have to register the SEC to uh, to offer it to uh, to people. But of course, you still got to follow whatever state laws you know, uh, or sorry, your jurisdictions laws when it comes to how you offer you know, membership in a cooperative. But, you know, for the most part, though, you know, it's not going to a security, so you can just give, you know, membership to really anyone. It's kind of great. Uh, <laughs> and really the big thing is that, you know, like, what's the relationship here? And so, you know, that's always the big thing when it comes to security. So, you know, it's not what you're selling, it's the economic reality. You know, it's about the actual relationship, what's actually going on. And so, yeah, here we can see in the, in the United Housing case, you know so here we have this, you know, nice little uh nice little quote. Uh here I'll just put it in the quote. Uh so quote, the decision was made in part business stocks do not possess the characteristics traditionally associated with stock, namely that they cannot be transferred to a non tenant, they conferred no voting rights in proportion to the number of shares owned, and they cannot appreciate in value. End quote. there some of that, you know, of course has changed, because you you can own uh you know uh, uh, a membership share, yeah. Usually, it's membership shares, <laughs> you know, stock shares, same thing. But you know, got to have multiple <laughs> words to say the same thing. Uh, so, yeah, membership stock, which can appreciate, and that in itself is not a problem either. But really, the big thing there is the fact that you know, there's really the limitations on the on the shares of stock. That's really important. You know, as I said, you know, you can't you know just transfer it to anyone you want because, you know, you put transfer restrictions. Usually a lot of COPs have transfer restrictions. And so, uh, uh, and and also, you know, you know, uh, how many shares you own uh, doesn't confer any more voting rights. And usually you got more shares by paying for, well, paying for them. So you're just, you know, uh, putting in capital, but doesn't give you more of a, of a say and and governance than anyone else. You know, usually, you know, companies go one member, one vote. And so, you know, really that's uh that's one of the things to always look for. And so you know the other big thing and this is mentioned here in the in the in the Rosenberg case is the fact that, you know, as I said, you know, cooperatives are really utilities. And so uh since you know usually, you know, white people buy membership and corporate is to use the service or to take the good. So, you know, that's really the big thing is that you know, people don't just buy you know membership in a club just so that they can have a stock and let it appreciate. Usually, they buy it so that they can use it themselves. And so here's this you know really important part too. It's just you know really the you know big questions. You know the effort of others. And so you know that's one of the reasons why a lot of uh, DAOs can run into securities issues, and just web three products. In general, it's the fact that you know they put out uh, you know these tokens, and then you know who's actually putting the work to make these tokens more valuable. You have you know, and so the big thing here is the fact that you know you're not really relying on the you know relying on the efforts of third persons, because you know it's the members who run the co-op, and then you know if the co-op does become appreciated in value, it's usually because the members themselves did something, and that's really the big difference here. Then what you get with like a general uh, uh, investor-owned, you know, uh, a company, and so, or just you know, capital sharing, you know, general corporation. This, you know, general corporation, I give, you know, I pay for capital. Well, sorry, I give, uh, I pay, yeah, you know, I get some capital in exchange to get some, uh, uh, some, uh, a share of stock in the company, and then the people who work at the company do, you know, do all the work, and then I get a return. So yeah, I'm relying on the effort of those third persons to get a return i'm not actually doing anything myself while with the uh, with the cop you know usually the members themselves are actually putting in efforts and you know this goes back to the fact you know it's a utility so people want to use it because it provides something to them and so that's really one of the big things and uh you know, that's i'm just going to highlight here is you know it's really the you know, effort test of the of, of Howie, which is, you know, the test to determine whether something's really a security or not. That's a really nice, you know, uh, quote right here, which I'll just uh, mention, you know, quote, is the efforts of the membership itself that sets the course of the cooperative, end quote. And that's really the important part, is, you know, you know, you know cooperatives really don't rely on, you know, third parties, All members don't rely on other people to, you know, uh, to improve the cooperative, they do it themselves and so that's just a really big thing to uh to mention and to uh to also think about and you know this also goes back to democratic control since you know all the members you know uh own the cooperative equally and everyone just gets one uh uh you know one vote you know no one can really say more than you know anyone else and so really the only way the carve can ever earn a profit is really by relying on the members and so if you're like a consumer co op, you know, you're you your members to come and buy stuff from you so that you can make money. And by you know, so and then for producers, you know, the producers, you know, the members members have to produce things so that you can make money. And so you, as you can see, uh, from one trying to get it's really the fact that you have to rely on those members to get uh, to you know, grow the cooperative. And you know, if you have shares of stock, you know, the shares of stock will only appreciate really if the members do something. <laughs> And so that's something really, uh, you know, really interesting. And so you know, they also make a really good point here. that you, know, you, you might not need to actually incorporate as a, uh, as a cooperative to get uh, some of these uh, variable securities uh, <laughs> analyses. Uh, but you might want to incorporate some of the, the elements of a co-op. So this kind of goes back to my point about quasi-cooperativism. You know, if you have quasi-caractivism, actually, you know, can make it possibly a little bit easier to deal with securities issues. And so, you know, that's something to really uh, to really think about. And, you know, something I really did like, uh, you know, here is that, uh, you know, they kind of like, all right, so how do you apply you know, these lessons to a to DAO? So, you know, of course, democratized decision-making. Okay, so you know, uh, so have democratic decision-making. Of course, it's, to you can't like, elect people to, uh, to, of course, like, board directors. So, like, usually most corporates elect people to board directors, and the board directors, you know, themselves might, you know, uh, run, uh, make sure that uh, the corporate itself is actually running and, like, gets managers, gets, you know, employees and whatnot. So, like, you can actually run just, like, any other, you know, technical business or corporation. So, you know, at least, you know, decision-making-wise, uh you know, really that's the only thing that changes like all right, so everyone gets a you know, one one vote and then you know, we use our voting to then set the course of action. So you can think of it kind of like legislative, uh and then once you decide a laws you need send it to the executive. And so the executive, you know, of course, you know, that would be like the manager, the employees, like they're the ones actually you know doing things. And so the also mentioned here you might need some KYC protocol. Congress generally do require that, and that's uh and that's something you can, you at least most DAOs can actually do. And so, you know, that's kind of up to them if they want to do it. But usually, you know, a lot of new DAOs are like, you know, kind of do want more people to, you know, show people who they actually are. As I said, you know, limit token transfer and focus on utility, not price. This is just obvious. And so, you know, going back to, you know, DAOs, you know, as they're saying, you know, with, most cooperatives, you know, you can't just, you know, there are limitations on transfer. You can't just transfer to anyone you want. You know, a lot of cooperatives will, you know, you know, probably won't let you transfer to, you transfer your membership stock to really anyone other than the cooperative. Or if you do want to transfer to a third person, the cooperative has to sign off. So, you know, having these restrictions on transfer, you know, is, you know, very much in line with, you with cooperatives and so you know it also makes this really you know uh big mention here so that you know next mutual which is a cooperative uh, in the UK which is a discretionary mutual for uh, for insurance you know kind of does a, a very similar thing it's like you know they you know, have a whitelist of decks or a automated market maker that's only allows verified members to trade so you know that's you know, also uh yeah you know, important thing to have And so, you know, this is another point here, just about the appreciation. It's like, yeah, I still can appreciate, you know, really, the, excuse me, the really the most important thing is the fact that, you know, people join the club to, you know, for the utility, like not just for the appreciation of assets. Yeah, you know, that's really the, the most important thing. You know, if people are primarily there for utility and not for just appreciation of, uh, of stock or, or the assets, you're kind of good to go. And so you know you know really you know nice points here and so you know this requirement does not uh preclude cooperatives from running efficient marketplaces for allowing for members to benefit financially from their participation in the cooperative so like you know members of co-op can still you know get financial benefits and that's perfectly fine you know you do something here you might use some tools or might do a little bit of that you could you know earn some money that's like perfectly fine yeah, you know, so cars don't necessarily stop people from doing such things, and so you know that's uh, another point to you know to <laughs> mention as well so that you don't you know, just because you know you turn to a account doesn't mean like people can't necessarily get a uh, financial benefit from uh, from participating, you know other than of course uh, just uh, just a patronage. And so they make a, another good point here, allocate earnings towards the basis of their patronage or the network. That I'm fine with, but of course, uh, I think, you know, at least with, you know, with more ag- org tech tools and the ability to recognize more and more kinds of activities and value, we could probably expand that. But really the most important thing, uh, you know, there is that, you know, you know primarily it could be just patronage, you know. Which is really just use, like, you know, the more you use, the, the more, the more that you get. But, you know, th- you know, other things that could also be uh, incorporated in that. So I think you could, you know, just expand that to more things. So, you know, I think patronage is, you know, is great. And, uh, and then, you know, other things we can add on as we, you know, use uh, port architect tools to recognize that uh, some, uh, some activities uh, should be uh, rewarded. And so here we go. And then, you know, uh, rely on financial contributions from members, you know, something you can do. And so, uh, you know, there are other, you know, primarily, you know, cause finance, you know, through, you know, member contributions. But you can also do crowdfunding, debt financing, you know, self-preferred shares. I mean, there's really actually a lot of other things you can do as well, uh, you know, which people are starting to like develop right now. <laughs> It's not a study from crowdfunding. So you know it doesn't necessarily you know, prevent like you know you from getting as you know uh a lot of money or you know technically it doesn't prevent you from getting like venture capital money either. You know, you just need to you know make sure you have the right setup so that you can get uh get that. they make another you know really good point here is to you know consistent uh provide consistent disclosure of project information. So of course one of the big things uh for uh you know, uh, as I mentioned here in this, uh, this no action letter from the SEC for MnDAC Farmers Cooperative was really that uh, for the Shaden test, uh, to which, uh, you know, as I mentioned here, is that it's, uh, it's employed, you know, when, uh, when considering the efforts of others, probably you know, the Howey test is whether, you know, investors have access to information. And so with most co-ops, you know, most of them are actually pretty transparent. That's what they try to be. And so you usually do have the information and so, you know, and of course the big thing with the SEC and what it tries to do is that it wants to make sure that investors have information. You know, they, you know, they don't really care if investors, like, lose all their money. But as long as, you know, you provide, you know, what they want is disclosure. As long as you're disclosing, usually the SEC doesn't care what you do. <laughs> you know, they don't care if people lose a lot of money or not. You know, as long as you disclose, they'll kind of leave you alone. <laughs> and so, you know, that's something to you know, also to look at, and something that COPS, you know, tries to drive force, you know, to have that transparency. And so also having, you know, people be member owners and, uh, you know, uh, you know, have, uh, you know, being in democratic control, so they actually have to say over the decision, you know, since they're, you know, member owners, just like other shareholders, they can, you know, take a look at the, at the bookkeeping, you know, uh, uh, your request documents. So this actually gives, you know, gets an ability to get more information. And if they can get more information, you know, less you know, means that they can get more disclosure, which makes it you know a lot easier, you know, uh, when dealing with you know the Howie test and especially the FRF others, because guess what you can get you know, this information. And so uh, you know, so that's you know this uh this article with the ownership economy skill and decision making while managing the securities risk uh, by Jesse Walden and uh, Connor Spalissi, you know, really nice article, I really like the fact they, you know, kind of went and dove into it, there are some, like, other ones as well, uh, this, this is really good, uh, Anya Blah article, also talking about, uh, you know, how you can use uh, the corporate model for uh, for DAOs, and just, especially for, like, crowdfunding stuff together, but I think this article just went a little bit more uh, in-depth, and, you know, that's one of the really cool things, and one of the, you know, benefits which I really like from, that's what costs I think can really get from using org tech as you know, going to the membership transfer and you know tracking the membership stock. If you can put it all on chain, you know it's much more efficient and saves you a lot of time. And then you can also set up, you know, uh, you know, uh, new mechanisms regarding uh, restrictions on transfer. So that you, know, you might be able to just allow you know transfer. Uh, know, uh, give them, uh, let's say, you know, if someone wants the membership to be transferred, uh, you can have, like, a, you know, a semi-decentralized process where, you know, the person who wants it to be transferred to has to go through a process of just, like, whitelisting themselves or doing KYC, boom, you know, the KYC, okay, now we know that you can be transferred, boom, send the token, whichever sends the membership. So, you know, that's one, like, benefit you can just get from using tech. and so, Especially for uh, uh for co ops which you know wanna be more digital and might want to expand uh to multiple jurisdictions. Yeah, you know, using ortech can be uh, really helpful there. And so you know, even though you use know, using op you don't necessarily get around the jurisdictional issues because you know, every you know, country has their own rules and regarding what is or is not a co op. But that's make it easier just to just deal with uh you know, with at least some of these securities issues. And uh, also for, you know, if you're doing a crowdfunding, like, you know, putting it together and, you know, since, you know, most cooperatives themselves, you know, could be really any legal uh, business organization, uh, you could also make it like a limited liability company, LLC or corporation. And so that way you can get your limited liability as well. So you don't have to worry about general partnership liability and being you know, on the hook if something goes wrong uh, personally. Uh, especially when you're not the person who did it. Uh, because of course, you want people going out to you personally for your own personal funds. But also, you know, if you're using a liability uh, uh, company or corporation, you know, the liability stays with the uh, the legal entity. So, you know, if the entity can't pay. Well, okay, <laughs> they probably can't go out to you personally. So, you know, multiple benefits there. <laughs> but yeah, unfortunately, you can't really get around the jurisdictional issue yet. Uh but I think that might change, you know, if we can you know, I, you know to me I think we could get over it with co ops instead of making these uh uh these uh these small laws, because you know, of course cops can also be members of other co ops. So instead you could have something like that where, you know, a cop is member of another co-op, and a cop could be a member of uh, technically another co-op in another country. So that could be one way of uh, getting around us. I know like with co-op cycle, they have members which come from all across the world. So really it's not uh, impossible. And so you know, it's, it, you know, so having like a cooperative federation that spans the world based on membership is actually you know, might be a strategy to use to help get around some of the multi-jurisdictional issues. Yeah, so that's it for uh, for this episode uh thank you for listening uh once again uh, this is not legal advice financial or investment advice uh you know if you are are looking into this and you need you know legal help at all you know go look for competent counsel in your jurisdiction and uh, ask them uh, for guidance on any of these issues You know uh wasn't apparently I'm not your attorney you know are were going to be uh I can't help you out at all so don't ever message me about it. <laughs> once again, disclaimer. You know, just in case. So you know. Uh, lastly, you know, thank you for listening. Once again, this is Charles Jovi. You can find me on Twitter at cadjlvu. Um, with the Ledgerback Digital Commerce Futures Cooperative, a really awesome Fire one c 3 nonprofit cooperative. Uh, you know. C 3 so donate so you know so i can uh, keep this work up and get more people uh so we can work on cooler things uh and uh you know hopefully you guys come by for uh, for the next episode